Hey mama, this is Carianna and Kayla, two best friend moms and your co-hosts of Sleep Talking Moms. We know that tackling sleep issues can feel overwhelming and confusing, so we are here to provide you with practical sleep advice. We want you to walk away from each episode with information you can actually use. Let's dive in and talk sleep. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Sleep Talking Moms. We are on episode nine, and today we are going to be talking about sleep environment and all those things that can help your baby and child and yourself sleep at the optimal level. So, Carianna, yes, take us into this one. Um, I'm obsessed with sleep environments, so I'm excited for this one. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about ideal temperature. We're going to talk about ideal darkness. We're going to talk about white noise. And I cannot stress enough, like these things are non-negotiables when I work with families because I know how much they help. And while it's not necessarily a magic fix, I can't tell you how many times I've like, gotten on the phone with somebody and before we even started working together they implemented a darker room for naps or white noise for sleep and it's made a huge difference so I just can't I can't stress the importance of this episode enough um but and I'm sure that you have heard this yourself Kayla I often get the question well how long do I have to have this like ideal environment for my child to sleep better? I have heard that from both sets of mothers. Absolutely. Um, That was like when I first implemented these things into my children's sleeping arrangement, that was the number one question is like, when are you going to get rid of that? How, how can you continue to do this in all of the places Um, so I know we will get into those answers later on. Yes. Yeah. I want to hold off the answer to that question. I know it's a burning question. I want to hold that off until we've kind of talked through some of the specifics and sciencey stuff about sleep environment. So should we just start off with talking about room temperature for sleep? Yes. Let's dive on in. Okay, so an ideal room temperature is going to be 68 to 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, If you are Celsius, 20 to 22 degrees Celsius. That is what we're looking for as far as room temperature goes. And honestly, cooler is better than hot when it comes to sleep. Okay, so if we're going to err on one side or the other, we air on the cooler side rather than the warmer side. Okay. So can you tell us why cooler temperatures are better? Absolutely. So our body actually needs a natural dip in temperature in order to release melatonin at bedtime. And melatonin, we're going to talk a lot about melatonin, but it is our sleepy hormone. So it helps us initiate sleep. Um, And, you know, if you think about it, like if we didn't live in homes, in environments where the climate was, you know, so well controlled, 
you know, if we lived outside like our ancestors, we would experience a natural dip in temperature in the evening. And so that's just what our bodies need to help initiate sleep. Um, this is also, you know, oftentimes when you hear about bedtime routines, a bath is included, um, or a shower. We're to the stage now where we're doing showers at night with my boys. It's like a whole new world. Um, (laughs) but that's why we recommend that because if you think about it, when you get out of a warm bath or out of the warm shower, you actually, your, your body temperature plummets and gets cooler initially, right? And so that helps with the sleep onset that helps with the melatonin production. Even as adults, like we will often wash up, even if we're not taking a full on shower, like washing our faces. I don't know if you do that before bed, Kayla, but yes, I'm I'm in my thirties. So I've got to do a face (laughs) regimen. Oh, you have a whole face regimen. Wow. I do. I do. I'm I'm impressed. Um, (laughs) I'm very impressed. I do not. You'd think I would because my mom is the Mary Kay consultant, but I just use water. Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. I know you're listening. Um, so anyways, we, we have our own ways of doing that too, where we wash our face with warm water. It helps drop our body temperature a little bit. So temperature is huge. Cooler is better. 68 to 72 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what we want to aim for. Okay. Should we move on? Yeah, I think so. So you talked about temperature. Next, let's talk about darkness. Yes, darkness, super important. I can't stress this one enough. Um, We want it pitch dark, pitch black, pitch dark. Basically, when you're in your child's room, whether it's nighttime, early morning, nap time, you don't want to be able to see your hand in front of your face. That's how dark it should be. You should be running into things almost. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, there's a couple reasons why, and I would say the reasons are different depending on if we're talking about night or if we're talking about, you know, early morning daytime. Um, So let's, let's talk about night first. And again, we're going to talk about melatonin, our sleepy hormone. Okay. Melatonin production, not only is it regulated by temperature, it's also regulated by light and darkness. So if your retinas are sensing light, they, they're going to send a signal to your brain that it's not time to produce melatonin yet. So another reason we want to kind of dim lights during the bedtime routine, kind of start lowering the level of light. And then for sleep, we want no light so that we are not inhibiting that melatonin production. When we're talking about early in the morning or we're talking about nap time, you know, we're not having that surge of melatonin like we are at night. Okay. So that that's not necessarily helping from that aspect. Um, But darkness is still important. So we have to remember that our little ones aren't motivated sleepers, right? Kayla, if you wake up and you look at the clock and it's 4 a.m., you don't wake up that early. No, you don't wake up that early. You, I know you wake up early, but you don't start your day that early. <laughs> not, not at four. It's just an hour difference, but no, not at four. So if you wake up and you see it's four o'clock, what do you do? Uh, I'm going to turn over and go back to bed. Exactly. Because you know, like I need an extra hour of sleep. I will feel better. I will be happier. I will 
have a smoother time with my kids, right? Like you can reason through that. Yes. Our kids don't think that way. So if they wake up and they can't tell time, some of them. So, (laughs) right. So that darkness level and making sure that it is pitch black when we want them sleeping, that is like their biggest signal. Um, and so if they wake up and they're like, oh, I think I see light. I think it's playtime. They're not thinking, oh, if I don't go back to sleep, I'm going to be really crabby all day and I'm going to feel like crap. They, they're not motivated like we are. So that darkness helps with early wakings, with nap time, um, and just making sure there aren't distractions for them and that it's sending that strong cue to their brain. Yeah. Can I recommend something? I'm sure that you do this with your, your families, but I know that for us, what helped, um, even during like the getting into nap time process, whatever that looks like, cause I know people have bedtime routines and I know that people often have nap time routines as well. Um, I know that here I like shut the blinds and I pull the curtains so that, you know, like the 15, 30 minutes before nap time, it's a little bit darker. I don't really know if that helps out scientifically or biologically with the kid, Um, but it helps me and maybe hopefully Imri to understand like, oh, it's getting closer to nap time. Things are darker. Um, And so if that's, if your kid is somebody who's, you know, my kids are both very, very hyper. Um, so if your kids are like that and you think that that might help signal like, okay, we're getting close, I totally recommend doing it. Cause I know that it helps us. Mm-hmm. No, I love that idea. I, I think that's absolutely going to help because you do that on a regular basis and it is almost, um, it helps bridge nap time and bedtime. Not that they're going to think that nap time is bedtime because that's not something that happens once our circadian rhythm is developed around three months, but you are showing them that very strong association that it gets dimmer and then we do our routine and then we go to sleep and they're seeing that consistently. I think that's awesome, Kayla. Yay. Yay. Okay. Let's talk about white noise. The third main factor in our sleep environment Um, Kayla, are you a fan of white noise? I'm a huge fan of white noise and I actually have the ones that you recommend. I know that you will talk about that a little bit later, but, um, the ones that we have are portable and so, and they're battery operated and they're rechargeable. So you can use them in the car. If you're on a trip, you can use them at the hotel room, at the Airbnb, uh, at your mother-in-law's, whatever, wherever the kid is, you can move this thing. Um, and it can help you no matter where you are. Yes. Oh, I'm obsessed with white noise. I'm, I'm literally obsessed with white noise. I love it. I use it myself. Me too. Me too. And I, we recently started that, I don't know, maybe in the last year or year and a half. So it hasn't always been something that I've done, but I have noticed a difference. I know, especially for my husband, he is the lighter sleeper. Like I'm pretty much dead to the world when I'm asleep. Nothing's (laughs) going to wake me up. I am not one of the moms who is like hearing every single sound my kid makes and waking up, I'm like dead. Um, (laughs) But my husband is a very light sleeper and he would go through periods of really having trouble sleeping. And when we added white noise, I think he would say that it has significantly helped. Um, So it's huge, not just for babies, you know? So with white noise, what I recommend is that we're using true white noise. So we're not using things like 
ocean waves or lullabies or rain sounds. We want that just very continuous, consistent sound that doesn't have a bunch of up and down stimulating things going on. And we want to aim for like 60 to 70 decibels as far as loudness goes. And we want it to play pretty continuously. So we want it playing all night long, every nap. Basically, if you want your child sleeping, we want that to be playing. And with all of the things that you've talked about, temperature, um, darkness, and now with the white noise, um, what is it about the white noise that makes it so important to sleep? With white noise, it mainly acts as a, a buffer. Okay. So even when we're sleeping, our brain is still always processing stimuli. And if we happen to be in a lighter stage of sleep, when there's a noise around us, you know, whether it's a car door outside of our house or someone washing dishes or whatever, a dog barking, if our brain picks up on that and we're in a lighter stage of sleep, there's the chance that it will fully pull us out of sleep and wake us up. Um, so white noise acts as a really good buffer to keep us from hearing those external sounds that we don't need to. And, you know, we do have studies that show us sleeping with white noise decreases the time it takes us to fall asleep. It increases the time we spend asleep overnight and that overall it just improves our quality of sleep. So very much backed by research that that white noise is helpful. And again, not just for little ones, for all humans. Um, honestly, I, I have a friend who even got white noise for her dog and, and it, it helps oh, wow. with the dog. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a human thing. Um, although don't ask me to show you studies on that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was going to say too, um, over here, I live in a pretty populated neighborhood. Um, our houses are pretty close together. Uh, and the city has been doing road work uh, right in front of our house for like the past two weeks. And if you're like me, I'm a control freak. I'm type A. Um, I honestly am very proud of that. <laughs> um, you should be. But one thing, like for some reason, they've been starting like literally five minutes after I put Imri down for his nap. <laughs> no. um, and so I have been like every single time they do it, I like, you know, kind of stress. I feel it in my shoulders, a little bit of tension and the white noise mixed with, I mean, I'm sure mixed with all of these other things, but the white noise especially has been a lifesaver because I don't have to worry as much because he's not hearing the beep, beep, beep when they back up. They're not hearing the jackhammering. He's just out. Yes. And so if you're like me at all, and you're concerned about the noise level in your neighborhood, your apartment complex, wherever it may be, this is a huge, huge, huge help to keep them from waking up so that you can get your stuff done or you can get a nap or do whatever you need to do in that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another thing that you didn't mention, other siblings, right? Like, yeah. We, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have to worry about trying to keep your older child quiet while the baby sleeps. When, when Campbell, my second was a newborn, we had white noise in his room and we actually had two sound machines outside in the hall, just because the way our house is set up, the living area where Ethan would always play is actually, you know, it's not that far from Campbell's room. And I could just turn all three of them on. And then I didn't have to constantly be telling Ethan, like, shh, you need to be quiet, be quiet. Your brother's sleeping. I could just kind of 
let him go more. You live your life. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, so now we should probably get to the question, when can I stop using these things for my child's sleep? What do you think, Kayla? I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, well, I I know the answer to this because one, I've followed you forever. You're my best friend. We've talked about this before. I mean, optimally, never. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if these things are working for you, then just keep it up. I mean, obviously you're going to see yourself in situations where it's a little bit noisier. You're in a hotel room and I don't know if there's any hotel rooms that don't have blackout curtains, but you know, any of those things, like sometimes you're going to forget the white noise machine or whatever. Um, but I think ultimately if you're giving your kid the gift of beautiful sleep, then why would we fix it? Yeah. No, I agree. I'm I'm in the camp of if it's not broken, don't fix it. I, I do think that you can experiment. Like if you're really itching to let a bunch of light in your child's room for some reason, you can experiment with that. But if you notice like, oh yeah, this really makes naps rough, then I would go back to the basics because there's a reason that we benefit from all of these things and why they help us sleep better. Um, The other thing that I would say is as your child gets older and does start to become more of a motivated sleeper like us adults, that's when I think, you know, it would make the most sense to start messing with these things if you're really wanting to get away from white noise or if you really want them, um, you know, to to not have blackout curtains on their room or whatever. Um, you know, I would wait until they're three plus years old to really mess with those things once they start figuring out that their body feels good when it sleeps. And, you know, we we do have more of that internal motivation helping them sleep instead of them just viewing sleep as you know the time when the playing stops um, which is kind of where we're at for the first several years they just you know they're like well I don't want to sleep I want to keep playing and that's totally normal for them to feel that way Um, but yeah I think you can experiment with it if you experiment and it goes bad go back to the basics that you know work there is nothing wrong with using white noise for years and years and years, um, you know, as long as it's at the appropriate level, there's no issues with that. And it's just biology that we sleep better in the dark and in that ideal environment. But also guys, like, don't be afraid to make your house look like a meth lab and put up some aluminum foil. It's okay. It's okay. I'm giving you permission to make your house look like a meth lab. I'm so glad you said that. I've had clients, <laughs> I've had clients send me pictures of like their baby's window from outside of the house and be like with aluminum foil taped up to block out the light. And they're like, yeah, my house looks like a meth lab. Thank you, Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? They continue to do it because it works with sleep. So yes. You can use aluminum foil in a pinch. I love blackout easy window curtains, um, or not curtains, they're window covers that Velcro up. I love, love, love those. Um, For white noise, I love Electrofan. I will link all of the products that I use in the show notes so you can check them out. Um, But I have pretty consistently recommended the same products all along. If you're traveling, 
slumber pod is a great option. Um, it's like a, a privacy pod that goes over the pack and play or over, you know, a toddler cot to provide that separation and that darkness. So lots of things you can do, even if you aren't in your own home for sleep. We are so glad you joined us for the Sleep Talking Moms podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to grab a screenshot, share it in your stories, and tag us at all the sleeps. See you next time.